Is that the gentle earth? Is it the one shot? No, that's that's two shots, but it's we reacted better than my in-laws who had Moderna, so. I see. We I all see. had COVID. Jay got it, and I don't know if it was the show, but it, it came into our house too. <laughs> well, it gets transmitted via 5G, remember? You know, yeah, so sure. right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Welcome. <laughs> it's it's spilling ink again, which means it's Saturday night, which I just realized probably 20 minutes ago. Um, because I, I was sitting having a good time. I've got a stocking cap here, and I'm I'm trying to get all the dog hair off of it with, with duct tape. So I was sitting there doing that for about 15 minutes, and I, I looked down at my phone. I was like, wait a second, spilling ink show? What the heck? So I'm here. I, I, <laughs> I'm obviously fully together. I've got all my my stuff working tonight. Um, I'm really excited to, to see you all. I've had a busy podcast recording week, ladies. I've I've recorded with three different guests for the other show, which is way more than I usually do in a week. And then I've got Spilling Ink tonight. So I feel like I'm really becoming one with the webcam and the laptop and, and everything is just gelling right now. It's it's a it's a good feeling. Yeah. And you're being all productive. Yeah. Right? No one likes to show off, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> well, if, no, it makes like you, if it makes you feel any better, I haven't actually worked outside the house in like six months, so go. I've got way more time. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> oh, well, Katie Salitis. Oh, wait, wait. Should we have Jane do the intro since she's <gasps> been gone and everybody's really excited to see her again? Oh, yeah. Oh, ladies and gentlemen and all my non-binary friends, this is the great mistress of evil jane taylor to introduce the show hello Welcome oh, I, to I, <laughs> ready to cue the tape <laughs> yes i do not know how to work this <laughs> i'm like where do i go oh no <laughs> so uh, we need to pay homage to to, to our sponsor yes Yes, we do. Yes, so we do. give us a second here and we will give you a word from Go Indie Now. Yes. Hello, everybody. I am Joe Compton and welcome to our channel, Go Indie Now. This is the place that celebrates indie artists and indie art. And we do so by producing several shows that either air on daily, weekly, monthly, or seasonal scheduling. And within those shows, we aim to educate and entertain you. If you're, if you're an indie artist who's trying to figure out how to do this, this is the place you need to be. If you're an indie artist who's looking to promote and doesn't have any avenues and, and is tired of the grind, this is the place to be. Because remember, it's always time to go indie now. There go we have it. And for those who weren't able, privy to it, this is why I was late, or I wasn't in last week. I was holding my granddaughter. Aww, <laughs> sweet so baby. Cute. Yes. So cute. She's got the best name ever. I, I love it. Yes. Baby Katie. Baby Katie. Yep. Catherine Ann Elizabeth is a- Can't is a go wrong with that well. name. Yep. So Katie. <laughs> Well, so, all right. Speaking of names, before, let's get on to our guest Katie. for the week. 
Shut up, Jay. <laughs> I'm almost done with this hat. <laughs> All right, what do you have to say? Well, I was just going to say I wanted to introduce this week's guest, author of The Soldier's Guide to PTSD. It's Virginia Cruz. Hi, Virginia. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for being here. You've got an excellent book and an excellent message for everyone. So let's uh, let's kind of jump on into it and tell us about how excited you are to have this book out here in the public. This is, is really a culmination for me. I'm really excited to be here. This book, it happened on accident. Um, I never intended um, oh, my kids. Oh, maybe not, sorry. hopefully not. <laughs> um, but you know, I never intended to to write this book, and I never intended to need this book. But here we are. Uh, you know, my journey with with this book and and with mental health started back in 1997. Um, I enlisted in the military. I'm sure Jay, that was probably the year you were born. So going going in way back in 97, right? Um, <laughs> Uh, but I, I enlisted in the Army Reserve, first started out in the National Guard in 1997. And uh, by the time 2003 rolled around, I, I ended up in, uh, in the Iraq War, uh, like a lot of my brothers and sisters in arms did. And uh, ended up seeing a lot of combat that year, not because I'm any sort of tactical sally, um, but because I'm an Arabic speaker. So back then, at the beginning of the war, we didn't have a lot of translators. So I was out. Uh, I served with just a, a bevy of tactical units. I served with the infantry, with EOD, that's explosive ordnance disposal, um, 82nd Airborne, I mean, 3rd ACR, you name it. I watched them come and go. So as a reservist, I was uh, mostly an augmentee, which means that I wasn't there with a unit of my own. I was attached to someone else's unit. So saw a lot of combat that year and then came back in 2004. And as a reservist, that means that I didn't return to my unit, if that makes sense. So a lot of times what will happen is a unit in whole will, will deploy to, to the theater, to Iraq, Afghanistan, wherever, and then they all go back together. But for reservists, that, that's not a thing. We all go back to our normal everyday lives, supposedly. And spoiler alert, that didn't work out well for me. That, that was not a thing. I had a really hard time adjusting to civilian life. Um, I was scared all the time. I was angry. Often I had all these crazy, crazy anger outbursts. I was frightened, I was sweating. I, I had no idea what was going on. And secretly to myself, I thought maybe I was losing it. Maybe I was just going a little bit a little, little off the rails. And so I made the decision that a lot of my brothers and sisters do, and I went back to my safe, happy spot, which was Iraq. And spoiler alert, that's not safe. That's not safe. But what I, what I did is I really jumped into what we call avoidance when we're talking about PTSD. Uh, so I jumped into a bottle, drank tremendously, um, yeah, and, and Regine says, uh, yeah, getting demobilized is, is really hard. Redeploying is incredibly hard. Um, so I jumped into a bottle. 
uh, and I jumped into avoidance. And uh, I went back to Iraq. I became a defense contractor, and uh, which was, you know, on the outside, just it seemed like a great idea at the time. It was gobs and gobs of cash. It was, um, you know, compared to what I had made, you know, as an enlisted soldier. Um, and it really, you know, I, I found myself in having a lot of reckless behavior, um, volunteering for every mission, going on every convoy, uh, doing every translation. Uh, and I did that for about three years, um, going into various theaters and kind of doing some really um, high risk, dangerous stuff. And again, not because I was eminently qualified, but just right skill set, right place, right time. And it, it, it all gelled together. Um, so then I made the decision, okay, maybe all of this travel, maybe I need to start being a normie. Maybe I need to get back to, to something normal. And uh, even back then, I knew something was off. I didn't know what was off. There's, you know, I didn't know what was wrong, but I knew something was wrong. And I just assumed that if I worked harder, I uh, just had more work, kept my nose to the grindstone, that I would be okay. And so I moved to Europe. I got a def um, an, uh, Department of the Army civilian job. So one of those coveted GS jobs that never go away, you never get fired, you just kind of move up and, and just kind of stay where you're at. Or at least that was my expectation uh, at the time. Not so much, though. Uh, so I, I went uh, and I lived in Germany and I really didn't adjust well to Germany either. I thought that if I kept moving, glutton for punishment indeed, glutton for punishment indeed, Harry Gerke, uh, there on the line. And yeah, I you know went back and um, Germany didn't work well for me. I, I couldn't adjust to having people around me. I felt like people were following me. I was really paranoid. I started hallucinating. And that means that I started seeing and hearing and smelling and tasting and feeling things that I ostensibly knew were not there. And so I was like, okay, I've, I've seen movies and I know that that means that I am legit, no shit going crazy. And so I did the smart thing and I kept my mouth shut. Um, but then my department of the army civilian job gave me an assignment. They said, you know, we really need you to go back to Iraq for this mission. And I said, you know what, guys, thanks, but no thanks. That is really not a good idea. I'm kind of going through some stuff. And they said, no, 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 no. We're not, you're not volunteer. We're volunteering you. You know, you, this, you're going, you're going. And I was like, oh, fuck. I was like, okay, grin and bear it. And I knew I knew even before that last deployment, I knew that things were off for me. Um, my relationships were a mess. I couldn't talk to my family members. I was trying to hide, um, try to, trying to hide all these symptoms from the people who loved and cared about me the most. And it became this big fat elephant in the room. I knew something was wrong. My loved ones knew something was wrong. I knew they knew something was wrong. And it was just, it was a hot mess. So to make a long story longer, I was voluntold to go back to Iraq the third time. And I, I landed, um, I was assigned to be the head of a mission and um, landed in a unit that has an embedded psychologist uh, within it. Um, 
And so the first thing that happened is I got on site and was given a battery of tests to ensure that I was not batshit crazy. Um, epic fail. Epic fail. Um, and the psychologist, she pulled me aside and she said, Virginia, I recognize that you can do your job. I know you're here for a reason, but you've got a rip roaring case of PTSD. And I was like, okay, that the only thing I knew about PTSD was my Vietnam brothers and sisters and, and what they had gone through. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, I don't see Charlie in the foxhole. I'm not, well, I was an alcoholic for sure, but you know, I was, I thought I was hiding it really well. And um, I was like, you know, this, this can't be the case. And she said, yeah, for sure. That is all you girlfriend. And so um, I went ahead and uh, it, it was not, <laughs> yeah, an F on my insanity, on my, on my sanity test. Um, yeah, that it, it hurt my feelings and made me feel sad on the inside for sure. But I also knew that there was, unfortunately, no one really to replace me um, by keeping my nose to the grindstone, by, by throwing myself into my work and into my mission, I became on accident, the most qualified person to do the job. Uh, so I was on site for about three months uh, before they found a replacement for me. And then I went back to Germany. And when I landed in Germany, uh, I went to a, a, an Air Force base and really um, had, had a real total meltdown once I got back into Germany. I was on point when I was in Iraq. I was on point for my mission. I was able to do the job. But once I didn't have to stay on, I, I completely melted and fell off. I couldn't sleep um, at all. I just could not sleep. I was terrified. I didn't know what of. Uh, in my mind, I really thought I am no kidding, losing it. I kept hearing gunshots and I, I know there are no gunshots. I'm not, you know, hopefully there aren't any gunshots. I mean, it is an air force base, so not a thing, but you know, it was, I, I really thought that I was, was losing it. Um, I had to give my surface weapon. I had a nine mil, a uh, nine millimeter uh, handgun. And I gave it to the military police there on base because even I knew I wasn't safe. I knew I wasn't safe. I was highly suicidal. I was hallucinating. I wasn't sleeping. And big blocks of that experience, to be honest with you, are lost to me. I just don't remember a lot of that time. And, and of course, we'll be talking about the PTSD symptoms, uh, you know, later on in the show, hopefully. But I, I don't remember a large part of it. And um, I ended up you know, having to go back to work, which, you know, going back to work within my, uh, within my department of army civilian job. And I want to be really clear about something because I've had years to, to think about it and a lot of 2020 hindsight. And the one thing that I would, I would want people to know is that in 2020 hindsight, my leadership, I'm going to go ahead and put that one in air quotes, my leadership really went out of their way to actively shame me for not being able to perform in theater. Um, they didn't whisper behind my back. They whispered very openly in front of me. 
uh, I had an army captain who was extremely pissed off that he had to send two soldiers two hours away to go pick up my service weapon that I had to give to the MPs so I wouldn't kill myself. And that was a lot of skin off his nose. Um, people would come around me at work and come up to me and stab me. Hey, great to see you back. They'd be like, okay, how you doing? Talking to me like Mr. Rogers, just giving me the whole, all right, we, we got another kind of batshit crazy chick here. And she had, oh yeah, not so much, not so much. Um, and so I said, okay, I, I know I have PTSD. I and at the time, I want to be really clear, I was being kicked while I was down, but none of me, I, I didn't recognize it at the time. I didn't recognize it at the time. Um, it's only, you know what, years later, you know, more than a decade later that I'm like, wow, that was phenomenally shitty. But you know, that's why God made hell. And so I went to uh, went to a psychologist or a psychiatrist rather on uh, on our local base there because I knew that I needed some help and I needed something fast. And so I went to a psychiatrist there on base who sat me down. And I wish I wish I were making this up. This was 2008. So I want to kind of put this into context because more we've we have more services for PTSD in the last five years than we have, you know, the 50 before that. And that's sad. Uh, so I went to this, mm -hmm. to the psychiatrist and he sat me down and he said, Virginia, you know, I can't help you unless you're being honest with me. I said, the fuck what, what's going on? And he, uh, and he said, you know, women don't serve in combat. And unless, yeah, See, seeing that look there. And unless you're honest with me, I can't help you. Um, and I don't remember a lot after that. Um, just kind of, a, you know, I won't call it a blackout, but just sort of a brownout, uh, sort of a brownout period, uh, just back and forth. And I, it was at that point that I realized, oh shit, if I am going to get better, if I am going to get the help that I need, I'm going to have to do this myself. Like no prince is going to get on their white horse and come rescue my ass. I need to, no kidding, figure this out. And so I dove headfirst into a master's degree for licensed professional counseling. Learned as much as I could about PTSD. Uh, learned about the symptoms. Learned about the lies that come with PTSD. And uh, over the past, goodness, over the past years since I've been licensed, I work for a federal agency now. Um, and it is my absolute privilege to help folks with PTSD and other mental health issues to help them to figure out what is happening. What is happening to, you know, what is happening to me? How can I get better? And what is my roadmap? What can I do to help? And so that's when I wrote this book. Um, I, I got a job working in an inpatient hospital with active duty service members. And I was tasked to teach. Um, and I, I was tasked to teach them about PTSD and about mental health disorders. And I found their curriculum really subpar. I said, you know what? 
if we're going to talk about PTSD, we're going to do it in an authentic, very real way. No bullshit. Let's get right down to it. And, you know, from one soldier to another, not from some pie in the sky psychologist, I'm on a cloud and psychology is accessible only to the elite few PhD. But um, to actually take PTSD and break it down, not in a way that's pedantic or shitty, but to explain it, to just say, because PTSD is the single most logical mental health diagnosis that there is. And if there's one thing that I know, that I know, that I know, it's that when we understand what PTSD is and what it isn't, and that there is help available, that it's evidence-based, that it is scientifically proven to help most people, that we can make better choices, that we can make better decisions and recover faster. Because there's absolutely no reason for my brothers and sisters in arms or fuck it, for anybody, la-di-da-di, everybody. There's absolutely no reason for us to be suffering with PTSD especially when literally billions of dollars worth of research has gone into finding these solutions and they are widely available now more than ever. And so I'm really passionate about talking about PTSD and I recognize that it's uncomfortable, but you know, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about mental health and we need to talk about it in a way that's salient and cogent and isn't, isn't down talk, isn't making people feel shitty about themselves, but giving people the no shit solutions to reclaim their lives. And so I, I'm super excited to be with you. And, um, and Jay, I, I love that on the show, you've, you have been very open about your own mental health struggles, uh, talking about anxiety. And anxiety is a common co-occurring you know, disorder with PTSD. So I am, I'm pumped and jacked to be here, yo. I am very excited well, to talk about something people don't talk, want to talk about. We're excited I, to have you too. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're really excited. Topic. And I have, I have to say, based on kind of your, your tone and tenor when you were getting going, it seemed like it was going to be a happy story. But it's really pretty intense stuff that we're, we're talking about right now. And and those of you who have watched this, this show know that sometimes the show is just us bullshitting for an hour and sometimes it, it gets a little bit more heavy. And I, I think that this is a fabulous subject to be to be talking about. And it is a little uncomfortable while you were talking. And uh, Rebecca Jonesy, who's one of the show's sponsors and a, and a good friend of ours, had said, you know, this is kind of painful to listen to. And I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, this is, yeah, this is this is heavy stuff. But you, um, out of, you climbed out of it. You found a yeah. way to climb out of it, which is like. <laughs> yeah. I, I found you're right. That's awesome. It's something that needs to be addressed because yeah. it does happen and people don't know how to find the help they need. And just like you, they're, they're ridiculed for having a problem that needs a solution instead of fixing the problem. Well, I didn't do alone. You know, no bullshit. I did not do this alone. I have an amazing family. I have a great, I have great friends. I have a great husband. I, you know, I have great health insurance. I have, you know, big that fucking helps. deal. Big fucking deal, girl. <laughs> that, that is. <laughs> um, 
I, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of resources, um, but I was able to create them. I had access to, to these incredible scholars and to, you know, to higher education that a lot of folks don't have. And so this is not a journey that I did on my own. And I don't want anyone to think that, you know, that I'm, I'm some sort of self-made woman because that's not a thing. That's not a thing. None of us are self-made. Right. The fuck up. But None of us, we are not. The group and the followers just to climb out of that hole is, is huge. And, and we help each other. Yeah. We help each other. I am uh, I'm very passionate about talking with other service members, other veterans, about, about all things mental health. And yeah, Jay, I, I love what you said about how, yeah, some of this is kind of cringy. But you know what? If we can't talk about it here, where can we talk about this? Where can we talk about this? What we need to talk about... We need to talk about rape. We need to talk about sexual assault, human trafficking. We need to talk about combat, moral injury. We need to talk about war crimes. Yuck. You know what? They're, they happen. They happen and we need to stop pretending that they don't. Do you, do and, you think that we're, as a society, ready? Well, especially when we're talking about the military, um, do you think we're ready to stop pretending? In that arena, I mean, is the military ready for to start really addressing some of this stuff? In, in your opinion, no choice. It doesn't matter whether we're ready or not. We have 22 going on 23 suicides a day. We've implemented we, and when I say we, I talk about the Army. I'm an Army Reserve officer, um, and I don't represent them in this forum. Has everyone give me the north south on that? So, um, but. I know. I know. <laughs> I know it. It's all about you, baby bear. That, that. <laughs> Sit down. So sorry. Okay. Just bring his support. <laughs> <laughs> if his barks were support, I would be just totally. Get over here. Get over here. Come here, my barky love. I still love you best. There we go. It so, does need to happen, but I, I worry about just like the, the comment above, and I think it was Rebecca who said it too. Uh, there we go. The brass isn't going to help them look bad. And until they're willing to to be able to see it as not them looking bad, but as making the military better, the things don't change. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I had the chance to serve at the War College. And... Um, you know, back in, I want to say like 2008, 2009, uh, we did a really good job. We were talking at the war colleges about toxic leadership. And we were starting to talk a little bit about moral injury. And there was all of this money thrown at PTSD. And um, uh, the, you know, the head of the army went to Martin Seligman, who then was the head of the APA, uh, the American Psychological Association. And they, they instituted master resiliency training, which didn't work didn't work. So, you know, there've been all of these <laughs> loud, flappy ears, that is for sure. But the, you know, the army, and, and I, I say the army in particular, because the army has done a very good job about uh, making their data available. So I don't want my army brothers and sisters out there to feel singled out because I'm like army, army, army. 
I think the Army's done a very good job of making their data public and the other services, not so much yet. Um, but we, we've thrown a lot of research at this and we've tried, you know, the good idea theory hasn't worked yet. So the only thing that we really haven't tried is being radically authentic, very real, and talking about this in kind of a get down in, get down in the foxhole with me sort of way. And I, I'm wondering if it would it be okay with you if I read the introduction to my book? Because I think that would yes. give. Absolutely. Katie, Katie didn't want you to, but I'm all for it. So you go right ahead. Thank God for you, Jay. Thank God for me. <laughs> Katie. It's all right. But I this like is... her. <laughs> <laughs> well, you like my dog, so so you know. I, I do. <laughs> but um. But I, I want I want my folks to I just want you to have an idea of of really what I'm getting at, and I promise it's short and it won't be too yeah it probably will be painful strap in all right so dear soldier so we don't know each other I only know that you've picked up this book and for the moment you're reading it I appreciate that because talking about PTSD that's my thing after my third deployment I was definitely not okay and nobody knew how to help me my chain of command, my doctors, my family, or me. I worked hard to get better and I made a lot of mistakes along the way. Eventually, I got my master's degree in mental health counseling and I started teaching troops. I'm convinced, I am convinced that when we know the no shit facts about PTSD, we make more informed choices and we get better faster. I'm going to write this book directly to you as if you were sitting in my class my classes can feel uncomfortable. PTSD is an unpleasant topic and people don't like to talk about it. And I get that, but it's not good for us. Your life is at stake, my friend, and I'm not gonna fuck around. I intend to be as straightforward as I know how to because I know that PTSD can kill you. We're going to talk about suicide, war crimes, depression, relationships, and more. See, I'm one of those therapists who came to the profession later in life. I'm not here to waste your time. I'm going to teach you everything I wish I knew when I started my own journey. And while you're not going to like it, it's probably what you need to hear. I know PTSD is an ass kicker, and I realize that you may not be up to reading a book, but maybe you could try this one. I'll keep it short. Another reason I wrote this book is that many service members know they have PTSD, but they don't know what to do about it. Maybe we believe lies, like, PTSD never goes away, and we continue to feel hopeless. This book might find its way into the hands of someone who never knew help was there, and it may show you where to find it. One last thing, I swear. I wanna say that up front because a lot of folks are uncomfortable with coarse language, and that is completely okay, and I respect it. This is not the book for you. I don't swear because I'm trying to be cool or provocative, and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or make you feel sad on the inside. Not swearing isn't authentic for me. And because nothing less than your life is at stake, I'm not going to apologize for what I have to say. There are a lot of great guides out there for civilians and clinicians, but this book, friends, is for service members. It's from one soldier to another. It's from me to you. Because if someone had given me this book back in 2005, it would have saved me years of bullshit. Thank you for giving me a chance to share that. That was brilliant. That was brilliant. And I have to say that 
I am, as of now, I'm shipping Virginia and Rebecca Jonesy um, in whatever imaginary land they get shipped together um, because I feel like they would be perfect for each other. Um, <laughs> Thank I, you. I, I really do. Um, you know, it, and it, it sounds amazing. And as you were talking, I kind of, I kind of have a, an actual serious real life question for you um, as, as a therapist. And, and it's a question about when you know that you're beyond, you're beyond what you can do for yourself and you actually need intervention from someone else. And, and for me, that was, you know, several years back, I mean, maybe it was four years ago now when um, I got to the point where I had a, a suicide attempt and it was, it took that for me to be like, oh yeah, well, something's really wrong. And I went from this state of completely denying that anything was wrong with me to everyone around me to, okay, I'm so fabulously broken that I don't care who knows anymore because I'm, I'm recognizing there's, there's problems and I've got to get treated. But how do, but, you know, we don't, we don't want people to get to that point where they're trying to take their lives. You know, how do you know that you you don't just feel like crap or you're not just a little depressed you know how do you know that you really need help that is a beautiful question jay and i really i value you sharing your experience about suicidality i've also been very suicidal and it's something i'm really open about because most of us have felt that way so we need to get real you know we all get to a point where where our skill set, our coping mechanisms cannot outpace our depression, our anxiety, our eating disorder, our PTSD, our suicidal thoughts. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of us don't get help until we've made a suicide attempt or until, um, you know, until our spouse calls our chain of command or until you know, we have an anxiety attack in the Walmart and the police are called. You know, a lot of us really, we get to that point. How do we know? I think it's, it, it's multifaceted. I think we have to know ourselves. Of course, I'm a big fan, Jay, of getting regular therapy. Regular therapy. The reason for that is I think it's really helpful to have an objective third person perspective of somebody who is 100% on my side and supports me no matter what. You know, in business, we call that having a, you know, business coaching, life coaching, call it whatever you want. Have a good group of friends. That's social support. Who, who are the people closest to you who can pull you aside and be like, it's time to get some help. You need some help. And so that social support is absolutely vital. But for a lot of us, we have to remember that that isolation, pulling away is a big part of our illness. That's a big part of PTSD, anxiety, depression, um, eating disorders, OCD, withdrawing. When we are withdrawing into ourselves, I wish I could say that there was a, you know, a pop-up timer like what you have with a turkey on Thanksgiving that when it pops up, it's like, okay, time for me to go, go to the hospital. Um, that would be awesome. Well, I before, need that. before Rebecca says it, I, I'm just gonna gonna ask. And where would you put the timer? Where where does that get inserted? <laughs> <laughs> like a unicorn, brother. <laughs> <laughs> right out. 
that way <laughs> that way you could see it other people could see it and they would recognize it yeah. but, but let's get real uh, when it comes you know even if that pop-up timer was there our friends and family are really afraid to ask us those questions um, especially when it comes to suicide you know because we feel like if we if we ask about suicide that maybe we're giving someone an idea you know like I'm like like, oh gosh, let's not mention it around Jay, otherwise he might track himself. Well, guess what? We're thinking about that already. Asking somebody, and, and the, the literature supports this, that asking someone, do you feel like you're gonna hurt yourself or someone else? Absolutely, 100% does not cause, encourage, or inspire suicide. It doesn't do that. I think when it comes to mental health, and knowing when we need help, and especially when we need help for PTSD, we for the first thing that happens with all of us is we know something's wrong. We know something's wrong. We may not know what it is, but we know that something's off. You know, we'll just put it that way. It's probably the in you know, the least incendiary way to put it. Something something's off. Something's just not right. I don't feel like myself. And. Uh, need to get some help, maybe, but what is it? So let's say, and this happens to a lot of folks with PTSD or with depression or anxiety. And it's worth noting here that PTSD is what we call a co-occurring disorder. What that means is that PTSD almost always shows up to the party with friends. So it, yeah, it's a real joiner. PTSD is real good like that. But it always shows up to the party with friends. So it will show up with the top five that I see with my service members and my veterans is depression, anxiety, drug or alcohol abuse, OCD, which stands for obsessive compulsive disorder, and um, eating disorders. Eating disorders. These are the five things that I see all the time co-occurring or happening at the same time with PTSD. So, you know, and that tends to be what people see first. People will see the DUI. People will see the, uh, the drug abuse. People will see the suicide attempt. And it's a roots and fruits issue. You know, at the root of, of, of this behavior, and uh, I hope, you know, if there's one thing I would want your, your listeners to know, it's, it's kind of what PTSD is and what it's not. So I'd love to jump into that. But hey, I, oh, I, if, if you could touch on CP, CPTSD, that would be if, I mean, yeah. if you believe that's a different thing because, you know. Well, there there's chronic PTSD. Is that what you're? Well, I was thinking of uh, complex PTSD is, is something I've been reading about. Is that, uh, what, do you, what do you think about how that relates to PTSD or are they the same thing? Uh, different shade. Okay different shade it has to do with uh with um you know how long it's been going on how, how you know how long has it been happening um how much has our brain and our body adapted to overcome you know for it and uh you know it's you know we know that something's wrong but a lot of the times we don't know what's wrong or maybe and this happens to a lot of service members you know we may have and i i see this um at the, at the agency I work at, um, they'll, they'll say, oh, I've got a, you know, I have a diagnosis of complex PTSD. And so then they go to Dr. Google 
and they look that shit up and it is terrifying. It is 100% terrifying. Or maybe, you know, we talk to our battle buddies or we talk to friends about PTSD and, um, yeah, or we for, yeah, we forget what's right. We forget what is going on. There are, there's so much, unfortunately, misinformation about PTSD that is out there. And um, it, this is so important to me that if there's one thing that I would want everybody who's watching this to know and everybody listening to know, it's what PTSD is and more importantly, what it's not. And because it's really... In my opinion, PTSD is the single most logical, it's the single most logical diagnosis that there is. It is, PTSD is the body and the brain's very, very normal reaction to a very abnormal set of circumstances. So I'd want to start though, by kind of telling you some of the things that PTSD is not, um, because we all hear about it in the news, you know, especially, <laughs> pardon me, with soldier suicide or service member suicide, we hear, oh, another person, you know, another person committed suicide, how sad. And we think that everybody who has PTSD, there, there's an expected end to this. And these are not just things that I hear from, from other civilians. You know, these, these, are, these are things that I've actually heard from other clinicians. So other licensed mental health professionals who have, I think the biggest lie that I have heard about PTSD is that there's no cure. There's no cure for PTSD. You know, you can get treatment, but at the end of the day, it's gonna come back and get you. And that's just absolutely not true. It's, that's not scientific. That takes away um, all hope. It's not just about taking away all hope. I mean, we don't have to believe in gravity. You don't have to believe in it. There are a lot of people who believe the world's flat. Good on you. But at the end of the day, there are people who really, and when I say people, I mean other clinicians. So other mental health professionals like me who are telling their clients that there's no hope. Um, you know, an example from my book is I, I had a client once when I was working in an inpatient hospital who had had um, she had a PTSD diagnosis. She was on active duty and she was being med boarded or, or putting out, put out medically against her wishes. And I couldn't figure out why. And so I looked at her file and she's smarter, she's smart, uh, extremely capable. And, but and she worked a lot harder than her peers, but she was not able to recover from her PTSD. She'd gone through uh, three evidence-based treatments that had a very high efficacy rate, meaning that they worked most of the time on most people and scientifically accurate. Uh, and she just couldn't seem to overcome. And that's that's putting it in a really trite way. She was working hard. And I sat down and I asked her, I said, and I asked her what, what I call the big two, kind of these big two questions that we have to ask ourselves um, if we're going to get better from anything from PTSD, from anxiety, depression, you name it. And I said, you know, do you believe it's possible that you could work through your symptoms, uh, you know, work on your PTSD, get to a point where your symptoms could reduce and you could have a normal life? And she looked right at me. She's like, oh no, I know I can't do that. I was like, oh shit, tell me more. It's like, you know, that's a therapist's favorite. Yeah, tell me more. 
And she said, well, you know, the first time I sat down with my psychiatrist back on base, she told me that, you know, I can work on my PTSD, my symptoms may go down, but I know at the end of the day, I'm just going to kill myself. You want, this is, can, can I interrupt you real quick? Okay. You may. Because just in the last month, I, when I was talking to my therapist, and I'm, I've been in a reasonably good place lately, you know, a place that I, I feel is acceptable at the moment. And she asked me, she said, you know, our very first session, you told me that you felt like it was inevitable that you were going to end up killing yourself. And <laughs> I hate these questions because you, you know they're coming. Damn, therapists, they know so much. And she was like, you know, well, what do you think about that now? And I said, well, honestly, I, I still feel like no matter how good I feel now that eventually that's how my life is going to end. And I said, I'm not depressed or suicidal at the moment, but in my head, that's, that's what's in there. And when you said that it was just like <laughs> jarring. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> that ties, that ties into the hope. If you take somebody's hope away, they can't answer that question in a way that, that will allow them to see the possibility of getting better. It's, you know, when it comes right down to it, it is, it's science. It's science. I like that if, science, if, not hope. If, you know what? I'm, I'm not real touchy feely, you know, hashtag mean lady, <laughs> whatever. Jesus, you know what? Rebecca, I, I'm sending her your way. <laughs> honey, I, you know what? It really, everything that we're doing, it has to be science based. If we are not basing what we're doing in science, what the fuck are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? You need to get in there. You need to have a plan. Um, if, you don't, if you don't know about your illness and, and you don't know the, the no shit facts to your PTSD or the no shit facts to your anxiety, if you can't recognize yourself in paper, of course you're going to feel hopeless. But here's the thing. Once we know what our issue is. Once we can go from that point of something's not right to here's a diagnosis here. No shit is what is wrong with you. Here's what it looks like in black and white. Here are your symptoms of anxiety of depression of PTSD. This is what you've got. Then it's very logical. We go to the, what we call the evidence-based treatments for anxiety, for PTSD, for depression, what an evidence-based treatment means is there, there is scientific evidence showing that it reduces the symptoms. Scientific. You know, it, it, like if you go to the hospital, your arm is broken. You know, it's, it's all over there. Okay, we're going to go ahead. We got one thing. We're going to put it in a cast. We're going to get that set. When we go to a mental health professional, if we're not dealing with an evidence-based treatment, a specialist, a specialist for our PTSD, not a generalist. It's a little different. This is something I really advocate for. We need to go to a specialist. It, you can go to the emergency room for a broken arm. If you have cancer or a tumor, go to an oncologist. You're not going to go to your PCM. If you've got a rash, go to a, you know, damn get some help. You know, go to a dermatologist. Depends on where the rash is, I guess. Yeah, yeah I was thinking that, and then I was like, hmm, not going there. But go yeah. to a specialist. And here's the thing. Mental health professionals also specialize. 
And that's not something that people know a lot about. So we may go to a mental health professional and we know we have PTSD or we have depression or we have anxiety or, or whatever. And we need to find somebody who knows shit, specializes in what our problem is. Otherwise, we're wasting our time. We're wasting our time. Evidence-based treatments take 10 to 12 sessions. 10 to 12, that is three to four months, friend. Three to four months. And your symptoms should be significantly reduced. Should be significantly reduced. And, but if you're, if you're, you know, a lot of people believe that, that therapy is, is, you know, a very Freudian model, you know, sitting on the couch and talking about your mother. I don't give a shit about your mother. I want to know what is going on with your PTSD. I want to get in there and, and I want to, you know, laser precision, laser precision. And if it's all right with you, I'd really love to share with your listeners kind of what is what are the no shit facts about PTSD? Please do. And because here's what I believe. I believe that I can educate everybody listening to this in 15 minutes and you will know more about PTSD than most people with PhDs. It is it is it's unbelievably logical. It is PTSD is unbelievably logical. So we we start by talking about what is a trauma? Trauma so this is a huge umbrella friends huge umbrella so we talk about actual or threatened exposure to death serious injury or sexual violence so i want to say that again actual or threatened exposure to death serious injury or sexual violence so that that's a big umbrella we're talking about sexual assault we're talking about combat we're talking about surviving a suicide attempt that you may, you know, that is threatened exposure to to death or and and uh, you know serious injury. You know, and when we're talking about actual or threatened, actual or threatened, I think that's a really important distinction, especially for my veteran brothers and sisters out there, because a lot of times we will second guess ourselves with PTSD, and and I see this in the civilian community a lot too. I don't deserve to have PTSD. I don't deserve to have PTSD because I wasn't in combat. We believe that only, only folks in combat are, are allowed or deserve to have PTSD. And then within the military community, we get much more Pacific, as opposed to getting much more Atlantic. We'll say, okay, only somebody who has, you know, only someone who is a trigger puller, you know, so only a door knocker deserves to have PTSD or I don't deserve to have PTSD because I came home to my family when my buddy died in combat. I don't deserve to have PTSD because I have my legs. That's just fundamentally not how PTSD works. It's not how PTSD works. So PTSD, it, it's very logical. It, it's the body brain's very normal reaction to an abnormal set of circumstances. So let's say, for example, we go out on a convoy um, so convoy is a group of vehicles that are leaving uh, a forward operating base and they go around town and they get shot at and blown up. Well, let's, you know, hopefully not, but it happens. So let's say that we, you know, all of us are on a convoy. Jay, you get to be the lead car because you're so badass. 
and uh, Katie, you get to meet my gunner, and we're all, you know, we're all going out on a convoy, and lo and behold, we don't get shot at. But guess what? Our body and our brain are going to react the same way, whether we get shot at or not, whether we get shot at or not. So our brain, if you think about your brain as a separate person, I think that's the easiest way to think about it. Think about your brain as a separate person who is really, really trying to help you but just doesn't exactly. So like if you have children who want to help you clean in the kitchen or cook and you're just like, oh shit, like this is going to get messy. It's kind of what your brain does, but your brain has two main jobs. Number one is to keep you alive. Your brain's job is to keep you alive. And guess what? Your brain's doing its job. We're all here. We're talking to each other. We have survived. Awesome. Second job to make meaning, to make, oh, we're gonna fly in here super oh, wow that was huge it was like that was a human fly. it was like that helicopter harry gurky was talking about there like, no damn but um second thing our brain does is it makes meaning whether or not we have all the information that's really important that's a really important distinction so there's no deserving to have ptsd i don't deserve to have covid I deserve to have the flu or HIV. I don't deserve to have any of that shit. You know, I'm a really nice person. I'm a therapist. I help people. I don't, but guess what? COVID doesn't give a shit how nice I am. No, the flu doesn't care how deserving or kind I am to animals like this guy. It doesn't matter. That's not how PTSD works. It has nothing to do with being deserving. And it has nothing to do with being in the military. Unfortunately, trauma. It's, it's a really ubiquitous experience in North America. We need to get real about that. You know, if the Me Too movement has not taught us anything, it is that, holy shit, there are a lot of people out there who have been traumatized. You know, it's just impossible. It is impossible not to have experienced it yourself or personally know someone who has. So we just need to stop pretending that that's not a thing. Um, then there's, you know, once we identify that someone's had a trauma, they may or may not have symptoms related to that trauma. So again, if we think about brain has two jobs, keep me alive, make meaning. So what happens is when my brain feels threatened, it goes into a state of fight, flight, or freeze. So we, a lot of us have heard of fight or flight, but not a lot of us have heard about freeze. Freeze is the redhead stepchild of trauma, which clearly I take very personally. So uh, a lot of things start happening. Our, our heart starts beating. You know, when we feel under threat, our heart starts to beat. Our eyes start to dilate. All of the blood is going to our muscles to prepare us for fight, flight, freeze. Our frontal lobes kind of turn off. That's a part for reason, logic, thinking. That's why we forget a lot of people with trauma just don't have any memory of it. This ain't Disneyland. We are trying to stay alive. We're not here to take snapshots. Fight, flight, freeze. That is your body's normal response to stress. It's a very normal response to stress because your brain is trying to do his best to keep us alive. Oh, yes, Harry, Harry knows me in stress and monopoly games. But so here, here's the thing. Fight, flight, freeze. And brothers and sisters out there, you don't get a choice. You don't get a choice. 
So let's let's take that science and put it on the table because a lot of times we'll tell ourselves, well, you know, I I should have told. I should have told that I was being molested. I should have stopped my friend from killing himself. I should have done this. I should have done that. If I had told an adult, if I had called the police, if I had done this, if I had done that. Sorry, friend. Fight, flight, freeze. Your brain makes that decision for you. We see this reflected in the animal kingdom. And this is what happens to us as humans. It's a very natural reaction. Again, PTSD, the brain's normal reaction to a set of very abnormal circumstances. Okay. So then we've got our intrusion symptoms. So we've really got kind of four clusters of symptoms that we have to look at with PTSD. So the first one is intrusion symptoms. This is, this is very easy to think of. If we think of an intruder, this is somebody who tries to break into your house and take all your shit when you're not there. When you're not there. That's exactly what intrusion symptoms do in your brain. So they're intruding. They're coming in when, when especially when you're trying to relax, when you're trying to sleep, when you're trying to be down. And the reason for this makes incredible sense. If we're relaxing, if we're sleeping, we could get attacked. Your brain's number one job to keep you alive. That's why he'll wake you up with a nightmare. He'd be like, oh, Jay, here you are trying to take a little nappy nap. Fuck you. Let's wake up and let's remember exactly what could happen if you allow yourself to get to sleep. Uh, nightmares, intrusive memories, um, what they call dissociative reactions, which is a shitty 50 cent word for meaning disconnected. It is really easy with PTSD not to feel connected to the here and now. We have flashbacks, we have hallucinations, and, and kind of a word on hallucinations that I'd want you to know about. So a hallucination is when we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, feel something that is not there. We know it's not there. Uh, we taste moon dust, you know, that, that uh, kind of that really, uh, that soil in Afghanistan. We smell burning flesh. We hear gunshots when we know that we're just in the neighborhood. We smell the, the cologne of our attacker. We hear somebody screaming our name. Hallucinations, we know that, okay, that is hop, skip, and a jump to tinfoil hat. That's what we think. You know, we're, we're right there. That is, that is just a hair away from batshit crazy. And what I need all my brothers and sisters out there to hear is that I have never, I say again, I have never seen a case of PTSD without hallucinations. That is not a thing. That is not a thing. But, you know, we have to be careful when saying, you know, I'm seeing and hearing things that aren't really there. People be like, girls on. Okay, triggers. This is when something will happen and we automatically go back to that place in our mind where we feel like very afraid, frightened, hypervigilant. So those are those criterion Bravo, criterion B. And we have to have, I think it's one or two of those uh, to, to kind of make that check block for PTSD. Then we go in to the next criteria, uh, criterion rather, um, and that's avoidance, avoidance. And avoidance makes so much sense. Again, PTSD is super, super logical. We will go way, way out of our way to avoid anything 
that reminds us of our trauma. Because who the fuck wants to think about trauma? Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Duh. Nobody wants to think about trauma. And I get that. I get that. So we will avoid social media, will avoid people, places, things that remind us, anything that reminds us of our trauma. Kind of the, the seedy underbelly of that is we will start avoiding people who worry about us, like loved ones. And here's the thing. A lot of times we will believe, I know I was there. I believe that I'm really hiding my symptoms from the people who care about me. That's totally not a thing. That's not a thing. The people who love you and care about you know that something's wrong. You know that they know something's wrong. They know, you know, they know something's wrong. All right, great. We've got a big, huge elephant in the room. It's the thing that we don't talk about. So what we do is we start avoiding our loved ones. We start pushing them away. We start, we, you know, we're, it'll, it'll start real, real small. It'll start like, yo, I'm just gonna, you know, work on the garage and, or organize my whatever, you know, I'm just gonna go do some day drinking. You know, I just wanna stay away from people. We might, you know, we might be afraid about how we're going to react with people. We start avoiding people because they remind us of, uh, you know, of, of really these feelings. Then we get into the next criterion, which is kind of these negative changes in our thoughts and our feelings. So PTSD really affects our fundamental belief system about ourselves, other people in the world. And one of the evidence-based treatments called cognitive processing therapy, Patty Resnick, fantastic researcher, um, she calls the stuck points. These things that we tell ourselves that keep us stuck within our trauma. So these negative changes and thoughts and feelings. So we have these changes in our belief systems, um, distorted thoughts, especially about the cause of our trauma. You know, if I had gone out, uh, if I'd gone out on the convoy, my buddy wouldn't have lost his leg. If I had uh, told my mother, I wouldn't have been molested. Um, those aren't necessarily true, but we, we tell ourselves that they are. We tell ourselves that they are, and we will beat ourselves up. Uh, inability to remember trauma, inability. And so Jay, back to your question about kind of that complex PTSD and that chronic PTSD, what we'll find is that especially survivors of childhood trauma, like CSA, childhood sexual assault, uh, human trafficking, um, what a miracle. What a miracle to survive that. And what we find is that a lot of folks who, who have that in their childhood just don't remember big chunks of their childhood. Big chunks. And that's okay. It's okay. It, that is a natural, again, when I say something is a natural or normal response, that doesn't mean it feels good. It feels like dog shit. It does. But it is expected. We understand it. We understand it. Um, negative emotions. We feel frightened. We feel angry. Uh, we feel all of these very horror, shame, um, decreased interest in things we once used to love. You know, we used to love going fishing. We used to love playing video games. Even let's let's even talk about that. You know, look, really low speed things. 
uh, video games, masturbating, having sex, um, watching porn. Those are pretty, you know, some of those are pretty low speed. And we lose interest in that. The things that used to interest us just don't interest us anymore. And, and we can't connect with other people. Well, and, <laughs> Go ahead, Jay. Well, I was just gonna gonna say, and I'll, I'll let you keep talking. That huh. you know, those things that you're that you're mentioning, you're you're talking about things like sex or masturbation or, or porn, and and those are the type of things too that when you start to lose interest in them, that's not something you tell your friend about. That's not something that you immediately connect with. You know, I've I've got something going on in my head mm -hmm. that I need to deal with. So those are they're especially troublesome, you know, because it, of course it is a sign that there's something wrong, but not something that most of us will ever talk about. Yeah. I don't see that becoming a regular conversation. Hey Jay, you masturbate today? I mean, hey, we could start as we could start a segment <laughs> on here. We could have Virginia on for it. And, <laughs> see, I'm a therapist, so I know no shame. Uh, I don't believe in shame as a concept, you know, the idea, you know, I love how Brady Brown talks about the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt, I did something wrong, super healthy. You know, I hurt your feelings. I kicked a kitten. I stole some money. <laughs> you know, I did something wrong. I can make amends. Shame, I am something wrong. There's something fundamentally wrong with me because only an animal would fill in the blank. Only a monster would fill in the blank. And that, no. Nah, no, let's talk about sex and PTSD and sex and mental health since we're already uncomfortable. It doesn't exist, uh, does it? I mean, that's like one of the first things that goes, right? Well, I, I have to tell you that, and it was a couple months ago, hopefully, hopefully Heather can't hear me in the other room there. Uh, but <laughs> you know, I, I actually told my uh, therapist and in, in, uh, in, in it was in a happy way. I was like, I finally had sex again. It's mm -hmm. been so long and it, and it was, not one of those things that I don't like. It's just that when, when your head isn't right, nothing else is right. Your your body certainly isn't isn't right. And even if you're getting help, it can be a long it can be a long road, especially yeah. if you're maybe not getting ex exactly the the help that you need. And, and so, but you know that's not it's not something I would talk to a friend about. But I could definitely talk to my therapist about absolutely. Um, and that's why it's so important for me to to have her because I can talk to her about things that not only is she you know, trained to deal with, but that I wouldn't feel comfortable talking to any any person, other person. Problem is you have to have insurance to be able to do that. That's true. There's the uh, downside. You know, there are services out there, like I belong to Open Path Psychotherapy, um, because, you know, I'm one of those hippie radical liberals who believes that everybody deserves excellent quality health care at a reasonable price and open path psychotherapy collective you can find them online i think it's openpath.org um, but you can find uh you know a therapist between 30 and 60 dollars an hour which is about an average copay and so that that does that's reasonable yeah that's, it that's is, very reasonable it is reasonable so back to back to sex and ptsd we have to remember that stress it is a very natural reaction. So when your body is stressed out, you remember how I said your frontal lobes are turning off because you're you're not here to you know to take pictures. Um, another thing that shuts off is your libido. So you're not going to get an erection, men, if if you have PTSD. It's just not going to happen. 
Well, well for men, that makes it even worse, too, because then they've got the other side of that not working. Yeah. And then we, but What's then we, the other side? What's the other well, side? That, that, that's going against your masculinity. Oh, God, I, was, I was just say, curious where you're. I was just curious where you were where you were going with it because no, I'm just thinking because that, that a lot of uh, of the um, perception of their their masculinity is based on how yeah. well that works. Yeah, how, gender how, roles. how big it is, how well it works. You know, absolutely. Yeah. When when your brain is trying to keep you alive, I mean, we remember keep me alive, make meaning. I guess where sex doesn't fall, it sex is not going to keep me alive. You know, in, in, you know, when your brain is doing its best to keep you alive, it's going to be saying, okay, go, you know, go check the locks, go be hypervigilant, which actually brings us to our next uh, best criterion, um, which is changes in arousal reactivity. So that arousal, it doesn't have to do with sex, but your brain and your body are alert, awake and ready, ready to keep you alive no matter what no matter what. And um, so yeah, sex out the window for that. For women, libido, gone, see it. It is gone. So angry outbursts, some of the changes that we see. Um, losing your shit in Walmart, having a total meltdown, reckless and self-destructive behavior, going way out of our way to, um, you know, and, and that's something I talk about in my own story, you know, going out on every convoy volunteering for every assignment, hypervigilant. So this is your brain waking you up at two in the morning. Are all the doors locked? Is the oven off? Uh, having a startle response. You know, someone coming up behind you and be like, oh shit. You know, having the my oven thing is mine a hundred percent. I'm always, uh, that's, and, and when I was going through high anxiety and, and actually was trying to get medicated for it, which never worked for me. Mm -hmm. Um, that was one of the, the things that made me realize that this wasn't working was I went from always worrying, is the oven on? Am I going to burn the house down? Everywhere I went, it was like in the back of my mind to, I don't care if it burns down. The medication was way too strong. It, it turned me on to, I have no feelings whatsoever. And I was like, oh, that's not working either. Can you, can you send me <laughs> so that? I have a healthy level of, you know, is it on? Can, can you can you we'll send me later. the name of that medication and the, uh, the dosage? Because <laughs> that would be great. It was Paxil, but I can't remember the dosage. Uh. It was probably pretty high, but you're pretty small, Katie. You know, in 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 my line of work, we call that having a case of the fuckets. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know, worst case of the fuckets. But uh, yeah, being hyper alert, hyper aware. Um, there. You know, the, the symptoms of PTSD are extremely logical because they, they make a lot of sense. And what is wonderful about having a good diagnosis and knowing that no shit, what I have is PTSD, is that when we have a diagnosis, when we know what it is, then we know how to treat it. We know how to treat it. And right now there are three evidence-based treatments that are is approved by the Department of Veteran Affairs for PTSD, three of them, which means that you can find that pretty much anywhere. And um, one thing I would I would want to let your your listeners know is that um, 
you know, in terms of what PTSD is and what it isn't, that is something that I would want everyone to have. And so I've made those two chapters available to all your listeners. If you want to go to the soldiersguide.com, um, you can go ahead and download that for free and uh, download it, give it to your friends, um, the soldiersguide.com, and you can get those. Uh, you have to give up your email, so nothing's free, nothing's free, but give up your email, get those two chapters. So it's the one thing that I would want absolutely everyone to have is to, to be able to recognize their own symptoms in black and white. There's something really powerful to that. When I'm talking with veterans, when I'm talking with service members, when I'm talking with, with civilians, folks who have survived, who are trauma survivors, there's something so powerful about seeing my symptoms in black and white. Helps me to know I am not crazy. I'm not crazy. This isn't just me. This has happened to other people. I get it. And being able to have a, a name for it, naming something, mm-hmm. it, gives, it gives you almost a little bit of power because you start to understand um, you start to understand what you're going through. And, and I know for me, and that's, that's, that's how I keep going through stuff. It's like, okay, well, yeah, I feel terrible right now. And I know that I'm in this stage of, of this. And, you know, at this point in that stage, it's going to start to get better. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's, it's not everything, but it's something. And every little bit of control that we can get back, I, I think, is, is really helpful for us. Preach. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I know that you, you've given us a lot of great information, and I, I feel like we're really, we're kind of scratching the surface with what the things that we could talk about with you, um, not only as it relates to treat, treating and recognizing PTSD, but, um, you know, how that relates to writing and, you know, what we can expect from the writing community and how they can help. But I have to to tell everyone out there that I I am going to ask Virginia to come back on again so that we can talk about this again, because I feel like we could have another really great conversation with her, you know, more than more than we we can tonight, you know, because I think it it was it was great. And and I want to do it again. (laughs) You guys know it's it's irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. I value you saying that. You know, I I do want to give a shout out to my co-creator who happens to be in the other cube. So Katie Salidas uh, actually formatted the book and came up with that what? cover art. You came up with a cover art? Isn't she amazing? She yes, is she amazing. Is. Isn't she amazing? <laughs> and um, yeah, so um, all my all my army brethren uh, and, and sisters out there will recognize that it looks like an army field manual. And um, the the colors are just really fun. And yeah, Katie, Katie did all of that. And I give her a shout out in my acknowledgments, but I would be remiss not to just brag on her right now because, oh, go hire her. Just hire her. She's, she's awesome. Katie is pretty awesome. And I I try, I try, but you know what, you know, like I said, you did the hard work. You wrote the book, you put it all together. All I did was make it look pretty. So you did the work for it. And it's a wonderful book. And I can say just from going through it, you know, in my part of formatting it, it is a book that is easy to digest. It's in normal language that you can understand. And it reads so quickly because unlike a lot of other nonfictions out there, 
you cut straight to the point. And, and that's the kind of reading I like to do for nonfiction. I want to know, give me the information. Don't give me the, you know, hundreds of pages of backstory. Give me the important stuff. That's what I want to know. And you nail it in this book. Thank you. You know, when as you're saying that, I, I'm thinking about all the memes that I see for recipes online. Oh wow. gosh! Don't backstory. Oh, don't. Yeah, I don't want any of that shit. Just yeah. tell me how to make the freaking sourdough. That's why I'm on your website, Tasty <laughs> <Amen, Lizzie>. <laughs> And I thought, you know, that's that was my goal with the book. I want people to know what PTSD is, what it's not and how to know shit, get the help that you need to reclaim your life. You just need to reclaim your life. And so we talk, there's a whole chapter devoted to the three evidence-based treatments. What are they? What do they entail? I want you to make a good decision. They're all you know, equally good. There's not one that is statistically better than another. The, the data are very clear. These are all evidence-based, they've all been, uh, tested much in the same way vaccines are tested, you know, well, not this one, but, you know, you know, over the course of, you know, of several years and thousands of participants, that is how we've tested these evidence-based treatments, the psychotherapy for PTSD. You know, that's, that's what it works. It works most of the time. And if you are an outlier, like, let's say, you know, let's just give it the credit. 20. Um, you know, if you fall into the 20%, uh, you know, 80% of efficacy, 80% effective is great. But if I had a 20% chance on winning the lottery, well, hell yeah, I'd play. So there's a pretty good chance that, and we know this as clinicians, there's a pretty good chance that your treatment might not work the first one. That's okay, because we have two more to choose from. Again, that are widely available. And I really encourage people to go to a specialist. If you know you have anxiety, stop fucking around with the generalist. Go to somebody who specializes with anxiety. If you have an eating disorder, get your ass to an eating disorder clinic. That shit will kill you. That shit will kill you. Do not fuck around. Go to a specialist. A generalist can help you get there. But if you are serious about attacking this, and, get, and no shit, getting your life back, go, please, please go to a specialist because otherwise you're spinning your wheels, you're wasting your time. Um, you know, if you go to the second uh, evidence-based treatment, let's say you're in the 20% for that, then you go to the third and you're still an outlier. You've tried three different evidence-based treatments. One of two things are present. If you don't have PTSD, which is possible, that's possible. Either we don't have the right diagnosis. Uh, we haven't had a chance really to talk about moral injury, which is something that we see a lot with, within the veteran community, unfortunately. So that's, uh, that's Brett Litz's research. I would encourage you to look it out. So we know that PTSD is rooted in fear, our brain trying to keep us alive, performing mental acrobatics. Moral injury is rooted in shame. So that's, uh, that's combat loss, perpetration, and leadership betrayal, which is kind of just to give you an idea of that. And a lot of my soldiers, a lot of my service members, unfortunately need to be treated for that also. So we might have the wrong diagnosis or you might have what we call treatment resistant PTSD, which is a thing. That's a thing. And guess what? Thanks to the bazillions and quadrillions, those are exact figures of dollars that go into search for PTSD. 
Uh, the PTSD, the DOD Center for Excellence, Department of Defense uh, Center for Excellence for PTSD, is in San Antonio, Texas, about three hours away from me. Unbelievable. And they do research on treatment-resistant PTSD. So they're doing all sorts of things. Uh, MDMA, they're doing uh, stellar ganglion block, what, what's called the God shot, doing all sorts of couples, family therapy, um, you know, spiritual work. There's absolutely no reason that for, for anyone to be suffering with their PTSD symptoms. But then we, we kind of have to look at the big ugly there. Ugh. You feel uncomfortable yet? Because we're going there. There are a lot of us hearing this who, who believe that, well, PTSD treatment works for everyone else. And Virginia, she's just so charming. I'll just believe whatever she says. But for me, no. For me, not so much. And that's, that's what a lot of people believe. And that's okay. That's okay. We can only make change when, number one, we believe change is possible. Number two, we want to change. We want to change. And we have to get very real about that. You know, we can, you know, and that's true in mental health and it's true in life. Let's say you want to lose some weight. You want to lose some weight, do you know? Yeah. You know, well, thank you, COVID. You know, most of us have gained the COVID-19 pounds and, you know, it's, it's not been okay. So, you know, we've got all of this information available and we say, you know, do, you know, and I might ask you as your, you know, as your therapist, you know, do you believe change is possible? Do you believe that it's possible that you could lose this weight? And people will say, yeah, I believe anything's possible, Virginia. You know, a genie could come and grant me a wish. I could wake up tomorrow. The sky could be green and the grass could be blue. It'd be fantastic. Fabulous. But then we'd say, okay, do you want to change? Do you are want you, to put the work in? Yeah, are ah, you, there's the kicker. <laughs> amen, sister. So are you willing? Do to, you want to pass on that cake? <laughs> oh, oh, that's so hard. I know. Sorry. So <laughs> and it's same, same with mental health. Yeah. Yes. And, and see, again, putting it into real words that people can understand that right there. Okay. And not and, and it's frustrating for us also when we have loved ones who have PTSD or mental health disorder and if they go untreated that is that's hard it's hard to watch somebody that you love suffering and uh, you know we only touched on moral injury but a big part of moral injury is self-sabotage you know we sabotage ourselves we believe well I don't deserve to get help from my PTSD. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't deserve to get better because, or, or if I, if I allow myself to get better, somehow that, that makes what happened. Okay. You know, there are a lot of really fucked up things that we tell ourselves that make a lot of sense to the brain. Remember, number one, keep us alive. Number two, to make meaning whether or not we have all the information or the correct information. It's tough. So, you know, as, as somebody who, you know, let's say you have a loved one who, you know, you're like, oh man, brother, you, you need, you need to get your ass to a therapist. You need, you need to get on some meds. You need, you know, I, let me, let me pay for you to have an intake exam. Um, 
it's hard. It's hard. And, and here's what I would want to tell everyone who is listening, who is hearing me go through these, the criteria for PTSD and they're like, oh shit, <laughs> that's my dad, that's my son, that's my wife, that's my cousin, that's my best friend. Because they're, you know, it's, I'm sorry, it is impossible to talk about PTSD and not have this hit home for 99% of the people who are listening to it. And so here's what I want to tell you. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. I'm not asking you to give up hope. But I do want you to put it into perspective. We cannot want someone else to get better. Oh, and that hurts like a motherfucker. So let's just talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Oh, oh. But your life would be so much better, but our family would be so much better. By our marriage, we could get back together. We could we could do X, Y, Z, A, B, C. But at the end of the day, there's nothing that we can do. We, we can give the information. We can plant those seeds and and pray that it will grow. And sometimes it does. It's and but here's the thing: our loved ones will get help when they're ready, not when we're ready. I'm going to say that again for people in the back. Okay. Our loved ones will get help for their PTSD when they are ready, not when we are ready. And that's important because treatment for PTSD is an ass kicker. You got to be no shit ready for this. And they, they will be. Then there's the other big ugly. There are a lot of us listening to this right now who are listening to these symptoms and they're like, oh shit, that's me. Okay. Yeah. And we might be thinking, you know what? I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can get the treatment that I need. I don't have access to it. I, I can't do this. I'm not ready. And I get that. And here is what I, I'd really want to ask you. I want to ask you, is it possible that you are stronger than you think? Not asking whether it's true or not, calm the fuck down. I'm just asking, is it possible that you are stronger than you think? Have you ever done anything before in your life that you didn't think you could do? Is it possible that you're stronger than you think? And, you know, there are a lot of us who punish ourselves for PTSD, you know, with our PTSD. So I'm, I'm going to talk to you too, because this is a big ugly. Yeah, I don't deserve to get help for my PTSD. I get that. I am not throwing stones. I am not throwing stones from my glass house at all, at all. But what I would ask is, I, I would ask you to test that, test that theory. Going through treatment for PTSD is hard. Finding your truth is hard. Finding your truth is hard. And if you have heard anything in the last hour that you didn't know before, well, I didn't know that. Is it possible that you're wrong? Is it possible that you're wrong about you, that you're wrong about your PTSD, that you're wrong about deserve, not deserving it? Fuck around and find out. It's possible. It's possible that you're just an asshole. Maybe you're not a work criminal, but maybe you are a straight up asshole. 
Find out. Is it possible that your buddy would not be celebrating because you chose not to get help for your PTSD? Is it possible that your loved one would want you to be better? Is it possible that you're wrong? And if you've heard anything tonight that's like, oh, shit, I don't know about that. Guess what? You could be wrong. Find out. Remind me what you have to lose. Yeah, right there. Absolutely. <laughs> Rebecca, yep, that works. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the simplest thing, and, and not to be, you know, a shill, but your book is the best way to start right now. It's no shit, down to the point information to give people an idea of what they're looking at. Yeah. And that, that's a good stepping stone to finding the help they need. Absolutely. I mean, we, we have nothing to lose, really nothing to lose and everything to gain. Uh, the book talks about a lot more than it really is a no shit guide to reclaiming your life. It's not just about getting a diagnosis and getting treatment and getting better. Because when it comes to PTSD and um, not just, you know, PTSD with all of us, um, but especially with soldiers, with service members, with my veterans, sometimes we get help after the divorce is final, after our child moves away and says they never want to speak to us again, after we get fired from a job, after the third DUI, um, after, you know, sometimes we get help because it's court ordered. Sometimes we get help because we're command directed to if we're still active duty. It is important. We can reclaim our lives from PTSD. We can reclaim our lives. A big chunk of the book is talking is about how do we talk to people who deserve to hear our truth and people who don't. How do we fix relationships? How do we get the social support that we need? Because guess what? We can't do this alone. I would love to tell you, brothers and sisters, that you could just read this book and presto change out on you. But guess what? You're, because we withdraw into ourselves, we isolate. It is every every person in recovery from PTSD, it is our fantasy. I can just do it all myself. That's not a thing. The data are very clear. That is absolutely not a thing. We have to get help from other people. We have to get help from friends and family, but we can. We There is a step-by-step -step guideline uh, and script, how to talk to our family members, how to talk to our kids, how to talk to our parents about getting PTSD treatment. There's a chapter devoted to talking to people who suck about our PTSD. So specifically, going back to work. You know, how do we talk to our HR department about needing to get help to get mental health help? I need time. I, you know, I'm going to need to take four weeks off to go to an inpatient facility to, um, to you know, to detox. Or to, you know, to, to, you know, from drugs or alcohol. How do we talk to... How do we talk to somebody about that? And so the book gives a no shit, step-by-step -step script, and it is all based in science. It's all based in the research. So Victor Frankl, Robert Rosenthal, there's, don't reinvent the wheel. 
don't reinvent the wheel. Science, the research is there. We need to reach out. We need to use it. There's no sense in, I'm going to just go out and do it on my own. There's no, there's no, you don't need the good idea theory here. These, these methods that, that I teach, I've used them with literally hundreds of service members. You absolutely can't reclaim relationships. Does that mean you, that, you know, you're going to get remarried and have more kids? Maybe not. Calm the fuck down. That might not happen. Can you, can you start a conversation? Can you open the door to talking with your loved ones in a real and authentic way about your mental illness, about your PTSD? And can you come back from it? There's a big chapter in the book about social support. I call it relapse prevention. The number one, when we talk about relapse prevention, we're often think about drugs and alcohol, not a thing. Well, it is a thing for that too, but it's not just for drugs and alcohol. We absolutely can relapse with an anxiety disorder, PTSD, eating disorder. We can relapse. We can, you know, we can relapse with a physical injury. We go to a place where we were and usually a stressor, a trigger will come up. So for a lot of my veterans right now um, that I work with, COVID, big, big stressor for PTSD and a big trigger. So for example, I've had clients who I talked to them five, six years ago who called me up during COVID. They're like, Virginia, I think I've gone back to square one. And I was like, all right, calm the fuck down. Let's look at this. Let's think about COVID and service members and how analogous it is for somebody going through the COVID pandemic and somebody who is deployed to a forward operating base. And this is something that we're not talking about, but we need to, but we need to. So the idea that you can't leave the fob, you can't go offside the base with COVID, you can't leave your house. You don't know who the enemy is, where the enemy is, if everybody has their faces covered, which can be a a real trigger, this idea of dread, this impending doom. Um, so we talk about, you know, with trauma, death, serious injury, sexual violence, death and serious injury. We're losing people left, right, and sideways. The physical symptoms that come with COVID. And Jay, you know this uh, better than the rest of us, unfortunately. You've been through this. That is an ass kicker. And that will definitely trigger so many of us who are in the recovery process for trauma or, or the recovery process for anything, for drugs, for alcohol. So this, it's relapse season, folks. How do we prevent that? We need social support. And so there's an entire, and, and that's what the data said. That's not the world according to Virginia. It doesn't fucking matter what I think. Trust the data, trust the science. The data are very clear. We need social support. We need people who are going to be checking in on us, letting us know, like what Jay talked about earlier, hey man, it's time to get some help. It's time to get some help. Um, whether it's going to a meetup group online, whether that is, you know, and there's a lot that we can still do in the pandemic. Um, AA, Al-Anon, um, so these 12-step groups, recovery groups have all gone online, absolutely. There is no barrier at this point to going to an online AA group or NA groups, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, 
CODA, Codependence Anonymous, uh, ACOA, Adult Children of Alcoholics, these powerful, oh, we lost shit, but these very powerful support groups are so available to us online where they haven't been before. And all we have to do, just like this, just like this show, is tune in, is tune in, be seen, get that support. And I'd love to tell you that we can all do it alone, but that's just not a thing. That's just not yeah. that we can't. We clearly have so much more to talk about. We've got to have you back on because we're Absolutely. about 30 minutes over our normal time. But ah, there's so much good information okay. here. Like, I don't want to stop you, but I know that we've run over. So it's like, we're going to talk after the show and we will coordinate another time for you to come back because I think this is just, it's important information. It's good for everyone in the audience to be able to, to listen to and to be able to find the support they need. So we've got to bring you back and, and talk more about this. Oh, thank you. And, you know, for your listeners, definitely go to the soldiersguide.com. Download, just download those chapters, share them, you know, download them, pirate them, put them on the interweb, do whatever you need. Just get the information out. I don't give a shit. You know, um, and, and the, uh, the signing up for the two free chapters signs them up to your newsletter, which I've seen the first couple newsletters. I know that there's some really good information in there. So it's not just, you know, crap newsletter you don't want to open. This is something that has general good advice that's going to help you and you will want to open it. So it's worth putting your email up for the two free chapters and for the future advice that you're getting from somebody who knows. Thanks, Katie. Absolutely. I won't bullshit you, I promise. And we need to pay homage to our second sponsor. That's right. And Rebecca has been so active in the chat today. Uh, Rebecca is our wonderful second sponsor. That is Mistress Rebecca, Dirty Jonesy. You will be entertained, especially if you listen on Wednesdays to her Facebook group where she does live readings. And let me tell you, you want to listen to those. They are awesome. Thank you guys for hanging with us. And I, I see a lot of you guys are still just you know, hanging in there and viewing with us. I know we ran over today. We are going to bring Virginia back so that we can continue this conversation later. And we will let you know as soon as that uh, becomes available on the schedule, because this is important information and we do wanna make sure that we can share as much of it as possible. So thank you, Virginia. This has been so enlightening. This has been such a good conversation and I can't wait to bring you back for more. Thank you. Thank you so much for just caring about what we do. Thank you so much for being a big part of this. And um, yeah, I'll take you over anytime. <laughs> I just, I really, really give a shit. I and really it care. It shows. It shows. Absolutely. All right, guys. All. We will see you next week. And until then, take some time, do some self-care. And if you can, check out Virginia's book, please, thesoldiersguide.com. All right, we'll catch you next time. Bye.